Remember the words to the old hymn, Under His Wings? They go like this. Under His wings, oh what precious enjoyment. There will I hide till life's trials are o'er. Sheltered, protected, no evil can harm me. Resting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. You can just feel the quiet, the security, the rest. I picture a sunny afternoon in the summer lying on the beach by the ocean. But is this reality? Is this what those who decide to follow Jesus should expect in their daily lives? Hi, I'm Mary Wurtson, and this is Truth Encounter. With my husband Dave, our purpose on this broadcast is to open up the Bible and expose what it actually does say about our life with Jesus and discuss how this all fleshes itself out in our normal lives. To be honest, the last few months have called into question ideas like protection, no harm from evil, and rest. The Apostle John was no foreigner to suffering, and as he wrote Revelation chapter 14, verses 11 to 20, he spoke about one group who think they have rest now, yet they will never rest in eternity. He spoke about another group who will not rest in the present. They will go through great labor and suffering, yet they will ultimately find eternal rest. Which group are you in? Let's join Dave as we face the reality that right now, in our lives, there might be an intense restlessness in our souls. Maybe you feel a restlessness in your soul. You know, maybe some of you, you think about trying to fall asleep at night and you just cannot find any rest. I mean, you've tried, you know, taking hot baths, you've tried drinking warm milk, you've even tried counting some of Kim's cattle, and you just can't go to sleep because you're restless in your soul. I remember a dear friend of mine came to me many years ago, and they said to me, Dave, the book of Hebrews talks about finding rest. The book of Hebrews talks about the fact that we can find rest for our souls. If I'm honest about my daily life with Christ, often from early in the morning till late at night, it's hard for me to find rest, to find a quietness for my soul. Anybody identify with that? Has anybody during the past week had some restlessness in your heart? The book of Revelation helps us understand that when we live in this life, and one of the things that you need to understand about this life is that until you go home to be with the Lord, until you're seeing the Lord face to face, and you turn your eyes upon Jesus, and you really see him full in his wondrous grace, until that day, you need to understand that there's going to be a restlessness in your soul. In fact, some of the most ultimate restlessness will be in your soul. Some of the turmoil, some of the unrest, some of the hassle comes because you've had to deal with many situations that weren't together. Maybe you had a restlessness. Maybe some of the young people had restlessness because they're really committed to Jesus. They're really excited about the Lord. They're growing in His Word. They're spending time on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings really learning about Him. But when they go home... Their mom and dad don't know Christ. Some of our young people have moms and dads who aren't really close to Jesus. 
and they see that mom and dad are doing a lot of things that are opposed from what they're learning in the Word of God. In fact, sometimes those moms and dads don't encourage some of those teenagers that have come to know Christ. And that teenager will have a great restlessness in their soul because mom and dad don't yet know Jesus. Some of you are going to go into offices and, and as you're at lunch break, there's dirty stories that are told and you know that that's just not what, where God is coming from. You know it's not what the heart of God is. And you also see that the same friends that tell those dirty jokes and when you go on business trips, they go out and do a lot of things that they shouldn't do. You, as time goes by, you see their whole families come apart. You have some of those men, some of those women come to you and they say, I just got word that, you know, my wife wants to get divorced or my husband wants to get divorced and you, and you see that tremendous unrest that comes to them because of all the failures and that we're not really walking the way God in heaven would want us to walk. That makes you restless. It makes you unable to really have a quietness in your soul. Probably the ultimate unrest is when you're on the run. I remember one day I had about maybe 20 kids camping out in the Adirondacks and we were on our way up to Mount Marcy and we stopped to camp out for the night about halfway up the mountain and the, and the, the ranger for the Adirondack State Park came by our campfire site and said that a wild man, a maniac, had just escaped from the Oswego State Institution and he was on the loose in the Adirondacks And I've got news for you. That news created tremendous unrest in my camp. It really produced unrest when as we were gathered together around the campfire, in the perimeter of that campfire, this lone silhouetted figure just came and stood on the outskirts of that circle. And man, the kids started grabbing my legs and I wanted to grab them. I mean, we were just scared to death. And then as we started to hike, you could feel that unrest. It was like being a fugitive on the run, and you never knew when someone was going to jump out and get you. That's the way King David felt when he was being chased by King Saul. When David was on the run in the wilderness with his men, he was a fugitive. When you're a fugitive, there's no rest. As we open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 14 today... We see believers living during the tribulation period that are probably facing the ultimate unrest that God's children will ever face. During the tribulation period, during the last three and a half years, we've met this Antichrist figure. And this Antichrist figure has a plan and a purpose not to give any of the followers of the Messiah any rest at all. They are on the run. Some of them are captured and some of them are beheaded. Some of them are captured and some of them are thrown in jail. You talk about a troublesome, no sleep time. This is the ultimate period. And so what we can learn is that here in Revelation 14, we have God's people under the worst duress, the worst strain. Lois and Seymour witnessed for the Lord in the southern Philippines where it's all Islamic and there's a militant form of, of Islam. And they know what it's like to be hiding under your bed with bullets flying over the bed and with people out to get you. And you're on the run. One of their close associates that worked with them in the, in Wycliffe Translators there in the southern Philippines was actually captured by some guerrillas. 
That kind of a feel of the persecuted people of God is the context for this passage here in Revelation 14. So we would throw up the question, if I can't find any rest, in other words, if I'm going to be on the run for Jesus, if I'm going to be like a fugitive for Jesus, why put up with all the hassle? Why put up with it? Why not just cave in to the forces of Antichrist? Why not just go along with the world system? You're going to be tempted to think like that at some time in your own life. If you really stand up for the Lord and you really put the Lord first in your life, there are going to be those that oppose you. There are going to be those that block you sometimes in advancement in your job. There might even be family members, intimate associates in your family that turn against you because you're following Christ. You're going to be tempted by our adversary to say, what's the use? Why even try? And I want to share with you the answer to that question because Jesus wins in the end. You see, we all make a choice. Now, how many of you have ever been troubled as you are with unbelievers and you spend time with unbelievers that they seem to have their life pretty well together and then when you're with believers, it seems that they're constantly hassled, they they just don't have rest. Anybody ever been troubled by that? The reason that's so is because there's a great warfare going on. There's a great conflict between good and evil. And Satan's the great counterfeiter. And Satan wants his children to have a false rest. He wants them to have a false comfort. He wants them to be at ease because if they get troubled enough, they might wake up and turn to Jesus. So the reality of the matter is that that our arch enemy, our arch adversary, works really hard to keep his children relatively comfortable. But man, when you become a father of Jesus, if you decide to side with him, and you let him into your life, and you begin to worship, you begin to believe, man, someday every tongue's going to confess, every knee will bow, and I'm going to worship Jesus now. I'm going to tell you the truth as your pastor, you're in for a hassle. Expect it. That's what the Lord has called us to. You're going to be called into battle. You're going to be on the run. Satan will be out to get you. And the question you need to raise, well, why should I put up with a hassle? I remember when I was younger saying, Lord, I'm not so sure I want to really go with you because going with you all the way is a big hassle. It brings conflict. It brings struggle. The fact of the matter is, whenever I'm getting ready to teach, like every Saturday night, is a hassle. It would be much easier not to teach God's Word Sunday morning. Because Satan opposes that. He produces a restlessness. It's hard to sleep. When I'm going to do a conference, uh, you know, maybe a men's retreat or something like that, there's a hassle for days before that. And there's a struggle in my soul and there's an unrest. And I used to be really troubled by that. I'd say, Lord, what's wrong with me? And I'm trying to confess to you and I'm trying to confess you are Lord. And I want to really do the best I can. I want to use my gift to help God's people. And I'm so restless. As I grow older, the Lord's teaching me, man, this is great. It's getting ready for the conflict. It's getting ready for the big game. This is important. It's not because I'm not with you, but it's because you're really in the conflict. And maybe we'll help some of you as my brothers and sisters to realize that right now in this life, there is a rest that awaits the people of God. One day you are going to rest. One day you'll be totally free from conflict. One day the hassle will be over. One day the persecution will be over. One day you're going to not have to wrestle emotionally, wrestle physically, wrestle with all kinds of stuff. But it's not yet. I find it's helpful to find out 
that it's okay to be on the run sometimes now and to be restless now and to be troubled now. Because that's a sign that maybe I've chosen the better rest that's coming in the end. Look what it says in Revelation 14. It says in verse 12 of chapter 14, this calls for the patient endurance on the part of the saints. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you today is that you will have patient endurance. Your Christian life is not a 100-meter sprint. It's a full-fledged marathon. And it calls for patient endurance. This business of coming to know Jesus and growing in him and raising your family in him and growing a church family to be mature in him, it's a long-distance race. And the Lord is saying, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commands and remain faithful. And the text literally reads, who obey God's commands and who have faith in Jesus. Not that are faithful. I think that John is combining two things. He's saying that our faith in Jesus is paramount. Can you think of a moment in your life, and you don't know the I don't care if you know the date, I don't care whether you have it written down in your daytime or not. What I'm concerned about, do you know for sure that there's come a moment when you've invited Jesus into your heart? If that's so, then what should be happening in your life? The Holy Spirit should be helping you to grow. And as the Holy Spirit helps you to grow, you express your faith in Jesus by being obedient to God's commands. And I want to really stress that. The Lord is stressing that for tribulation saints, and the Lord's stressing that for our church family today. The most important thing that you can do this week is through the power of the Holy Spirit, be obedient to God's commands. And you can do it. The Holy Spirit's in your life. And it's the little things. It's the little tiny things. Brady and I were playing basketball on Tuesday night. And when we were coming home, Brady said, Hey, Dave, i got to tell you about something. I, I was talking about his great big diesel truck and how much I like that diesel truck and it's really neat. And he said, well, man, the thing broke down just recently. And the thing was in, sh- in the shop for eight or nine days. They really messed me up. They gave me a Ford Escort. You ever try to pour concrete with a Ford Escort? So Brady told me, he said, I had to shell out, I think it was $50 a day extra to get a truck so he could carry out his business. Well, when he went back to pick up his Ford diesel, all of his Christian CDs were gone. I mean, what could be more heinous and what criminal activity they stole about, uh, about $276 or so of Christian CDs. Well, Brady went in, went into the head of the Ford dealer, said, I had all these CDs. I had them in my truck. Somebody stole them. You're responsible for them. The guy said, Brady, I, I really want to do the best for you. This is Ford. And he wrote out a check, I think, for what, $267 or something, Brady. And Brady took the check, put it in his pocket, feeling really good. He got home and said hello to Lonnie. And he began shoveling around his truck, looking in the back of it. There's all of his CDs. <laughs> now, this is where the good part comes in. <laughs> Brady told me that he started thinking, it cost me $50 a day. That comes really... Lord, you provided for me. Lord, you covered the bases. What a miracle. You've met my needs. Brady told me the Holy Spirit inside of his life said, uh-uh. No, 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 no. He said, oh, yes, Lord. What a praise request it will be. I could share the bountiful way that you provided and made up all the difference. And Brady told me he went into his desk, took the check, wrote a thank you note to the Ford dealer. 
and sent the check back. That's being obedient to God's commands. Brothers and sisters, that's where the world is going to begin to listen to us. It's a little thing. And I want to encourage you. You know, Brady would be the first one to say, man, I'm not perfect. Man, I blow it in my construction industry every day. But you know that in construction, where Pat and Brady work, lying is often part of the deal. So doesn't that mean that Brady and Pat, and I, there's many that are in construction, doesn't that mean that all of you that are in construction, it's the way it is. That's what people do. Why do I need to obey? Because we're the children of the light. We're the children who know Jesus. We're the ones that can be used by the Spirit of God to touch hearts throughout the construction area in Dallas. What would it mean in Dallas if every born-again, so-called born-again believer expressed their commitment to Jesus by ethical, obedient, moral behavior? What would that mean? That's why John is telling these tribulation saints are being persecuted, but the Lord is saying, you guys hang in there. Patiently endured, because it's going to be worth it in the end. It's not going to be worth it to side with unethical antichrist. I know that his way looks like it's working. I know that it looks like he's successful. But I guarantee you, in the end, Jesus wins. Do you believe that? You know when you're going to express whether you believe it or not? When everything's on the line. When your whole job, when your family, everything's on the line and the world is telling you, you gotta stretch a little bit. You gotta cheat a little bit. You gotta be a little bit unethical. And I wanna challenge us to pray, oh brothers and sisters in Christ. We should pray for the day when a school teacher, as soon as they find out, I got a born again Christian in my class. It means I'll never see cheating from them. I'll never see rebellious behavior from them. I'll never see back talk. I'll never see, you know, kind of talking out of turn. I'm going to see a kid that's a lot of fun. But boy, are they obedient. And that's when some of your unbelieving teachers will go, hey, after six months of that kind of ethical living, they're going to say, hey, tell me about this Jesus thing. Tell me about this, this Jesus dying on the cross. Man, he's got incredible power. He's got incredible, incredible, transforming power to change people's lives. John tells the tribulation saints that, and I think he tells us the same thing. He says in verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow with them. Specifically, this relates to the tribulation saints, Some of them have lost their loved ones. I mean, this is serious stuff. John's running to people who, during the last part of the tribulation period, many of them are going to lose their life. And he's telling them this is the second beatitude of the book of Revelation. There's seven, which gives us a complete number of beatitudes in the book of Revelation. This is the second one. And this time, the Spirit of God is promising, blessed are those who die. As Antichrist tightens down the screws, that's the idea from now on. As Antichrist begins to tighten down his press of persecution against the believers, John comes back with a strong certainty, hey, you're going to be happy in the end. If you even die in Christ, you're going to win in the end. Why? Because you're going to rest from your labor. Do you know what heaven's going to be like? Heaven's going to be not just sleeping. It's not going to be sleeping. The Lord said there's no night there. You don't need to sleep. But you know what? There's going to be rest. You're going to be free from the hassle, free from the stress, 
free from the conflict. They're going to be eternal rest. You know those feelings you get, like coming back from Oklahoma yesterday at speaking at a men's retreat, uh, just coming down 35, the sun was beginning to set, and it was just a beautiful time. The Lord had really worked in this conference with all these Baptist guys, and as I was driving down, the Lord gave me a moment of rest. You know what I'm talking about? You all know those moments. Like, this is good. This is complete. Things were good. Anybody ever have those moments? Sure you do. I hope you do. If you haven't had one for a while, you need a break. <laughs> you need to come apart and rest. I want you to take those moments and multiply it. Just multiply it out to infinity. And that's what heaven's going to be. Some of you think it's going to be weird playing of harps and everything. If, that's what, if you're going to play harps in heaven, it'll be incredibly restful, incredibly wonderful, incredibly the ultimate experience that you can have. And John is telling these dear believers, listen, you're heavenly Jesus. I know you're suffering for him now. I know it like it looks like things aren't coming through for him right now. But I got news for you. They chose, those that chose not to side with Jesus, they chose temporary rest. You've chosen, when you chose to live with the Son, you chose eternal rest. Now you make the call. Which rest do you want? Do you want rest now? A false rest, a false security, a false sense of confidence? Or do you want a rest and a confidence and a peace and a joy that goes on forever and ever and ever? As for me and my house, we're going to go with Jesus. Another reason we're going to go with Jesus is not only because he promises us eternal rest, but you know what? In the end, he beats up on the boogeyman that gets me. Whenever someone maligns you for the sake of Christ... You need to have a great love for them. Even if we end up losing our lives for the sake of Christ, don't hate those unbelievers that are persecuting like that. You know why? You need to feel incredible sorrow for them. Because you can have tremendous confidence. In the end, in the end, Jesus always wins. Always wins. In the end, Jesus always wins. In the end, Jesus always, always wins. You say, Dave, how do I know that? Because I read the rest of the book. Look what it says right here. It says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud. The white cloud in, the, in prophetic literature always is representative of the presence of heaven. Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, was caught up in a cloud. It represented the great Shekinah glory of God. Remember the cloud that would descend upon the children of Israel in the Old Testament? It would be the Shekinah glory that would lead them. So a cloud represents the presence of God. And seated on this manifestation of the presence of God, this cloud, was one like the Son of Man, like a Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Who is the Son of Man? Daniel 7 verse 13 talks about the conflict of the nations. It talks about the beasts that come up out of the sea. And at the culmination of the final beast, which is being developed in the book of Revelation, it represents at the end of this beast strutting his stuff and all the nations rising up in opposition against God. It says that one like a Son of Man comes with a cloud of heaven. And it says that the Ancient of Days, the Lord God of all of creation, takes all the kingdoms of the world and gives them to a son of man. Jesus, when he came, identified himself, his favorite title for himself. You say, Jesus, what would you like to call me? Jesus' favorite title was, guess what? I am the son of man. 
And in his first coming, the phrase Son of Man did not represent this great majestic figure coming with a majestic Shekinah glory of God, the clouds of heaven. In the first coming, the Son of Man meant that he was a son like us. He was a son of humanity. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And he gave his life for us. And he became a man so that he would be able to die for us. And then he rose again. In his first coming, the phrase Son of Man in the Gospels represents Jesus coming in his identification with us. But when we switch to his great ultimate second coming, now the Son of Man returns to its great, wondrous, glorified concepts from the book of Daniel with this great figure. You know why I believe in Jesus? Because one day he's going to rule over all the United Nations. You know what Jesus is saying? What this text is saying? One day the Son of Man doesn't just rule over Washington. One day, my son of man, the one that I hooked my wagon with, he's going to rule over all the nations of the world. He's going to rule over all the universe. He's going he's to burn up and purge this whole present universe. And then he's going to rule over a whole new creation. How many of you want to join with him? That's why when you tell me, Dave, why should we believe in Jesus? Why not believe in Buddha? Why not believe in Confucius? Go ahead and hook up with Buddha. Go ahead and hook up with Confucius. Take your chances. Where are you going to end up? You ought to read their writings. Find out where they're going to take you. Find out what they really teach you. I'm telling you, that's why we gather every single week. We get up and we read what Jesus is teaching. I'm just telling you from the bottom of my heart, every one of you are going to believe in someone. And I'm sure with you, why did I hook up with Jesus? Because in the end, he's the son of man. And he's the son of man that was predicted would come at 600 years before Christ came. It predicted there would be a great ultimate ruler that would come. And now the book of Revelation is bringing the story to completion. He's going to win. He's the son of man who's going to come. He has a gold crown because he's the king. But he has a sickle in his hand. And that will just introduce us to the development of the rest of the chapters. Because a lot of you think, in fact, some of your friends think of Jesus as being weak and, and mild. And he is not weak. He is mild and gentle. But he's also, also an incredible judge. And some of you feel like, well, I think Jesus just doesn't come through for me because he just can't handle things. He's not strong enough to handle anything. Look what happens in the heavenly court. It says, then another angel came out of the temple. And this angel called in a loud voice to him that would be to the son of man who was sitting on a cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated in the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Those of you that are into ancient kind of farming, you want to picture a wheat field. A sickle is a great big staff with a sharp blade on the end. Before the days of machinery, it was a normal way that you would harvest a crop. And you've seen, you've all seen movies where they're swinging the sickle. We used to use them in the old days when we were in high school. We had a harvest thing with a sickle because they didn't have any automated equipment hardly. And you would swing the sickle and it was very sharp. And it would just cut down a whole section of the grain, the barley, the wheat that you were harvesting. What it's picturing is that what John is picturing here is one day the command is given and the armies of Jesus begin to just sweep through the nations of the earth and the sickle cuts them down. It uses another imagery in the next paragraph. It talks about a wine press. Another angel came out of the temple, came out of heaven. He too had a sharp sickle and still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and it called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered its grapes and threw them to the great winepress of God's wrath. 
They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, which is about 200 miles from Tyre down to the Wadi of Egypt, is about 200 miles. It's the whole country of Israel. It's bathed in blood. What are we talking about? You say, Dave, what are we talking about? The book of Joel predicted, the end of the book of Joel predicted, that one day all the nations would gather in the Valley of Decision, called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which means the Valley of means Yahweh is going to judge. And the Kidron Valley, which is between the Mount of Olives and between the temple complex, like, if, well, I just talked to a guy yesterday. They took a trip to Israel and he stayed on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount. The valley in between is the, it's Jehoshaphat's Valley. It's the Valley of Decision. And what the book of Joel predicts is that all the nations of the world are going to converge on the city of Jerusalem. And when they converge in the city of Jerusalem, it will look like the people of Israel are going to be snuffed out. By this time, there's going to be a tremendous movement among the Jewish people. Remember we learned about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that responded to Christ. The tremendous harvest that starts to come in. And Antichrist is trying to put a stranglehold upon this. It's World War II multiplied a million times. And three continents converge in the Holy Land. If you want to control the world, even today, the place where you control the world is from Jerusalem. Because that's where you control the continent of Africa. That's where you control Asia. That's where you control Europe. And you throw in the new world with modern communications. The centerpiece of the old world and the new world is right in that precious little land, not much bigger than the state of New Jersey, where God said, this is my land. And Antichrist will set himself up in that land. And all the nations will begin to converge in this gigantic holocaust that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. But John tells us how it's going to end. He says, as these nations gather together, a son of man's going to come back. And he's going to swing a sickle. And this idea of the, of the grape vats, when you harvest grapes in the ancient world, you gather them off the vines and you throw them into this big trough that was up a little bit high and it had different filters that would drain the grape juice off and eventually be turned into wine. But people would tromp in this trough. It would be, say, maybe six inches deep with a lip on it and then it had a drain at the other end and people would get in this vat of grapes. People love, you can imagine how little kids would love doing that. And you can imagine, moms, what would the little kids look like when they're through tromping on these grapes? That's what's pictured. It's a symbolic picture. Some of you have gotten into debates. Well, how could the blood ever be up to the horse's bridles? That's not the point of this. It's just like, do you think Jesus is really going to come and in the city of Jerusalem jump into a grape vat and get himself sprayed with grapes? No, remember John signifying. He's picturing things for it. And it's so powerful. What could be more powerful than thinking of a Lord that swings with a sickle and his enemies are cut down? He tramples them in the wine press and he comes covered with blood. And Isaiah 63 says, who is this coming up from Edom? Who is this riding with his, his horses and his chariots? Who is this who is stained with blood? And then it declares that he is the one who will deliver Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, it's going to be an awesome time at the end of the tribulation period. Some of you are in the military, like Kevin that flew A4 for so many years and on a retreat went on. He, he was so excited and I was excited. He showed us his flying missions and he showed us about landing on the aircraft carrier and he showed us his squadron. And man, I tell you, to watch and say, like Kevin even say, that's me in that airplane. And there was power in that. I said, man, I want to be with him. I want him in my, on my team. 
Kevin's a warrior. He's going to win. What power there is in the Nimitz. What an incredible aircraft carrier. I want you to have that feeling about Jesus this week. I want you to know that right now, man, he's quiet. Right now, he talks to people's hearts. Right now, he's being gentle. Right now, he's being patient. But don't you ever mistake for a single second. In the end, he can handle it. In the end, he has great power. And in a society that only wants to talk about gushy, sentimental, divine love, the book of Revelation is a corrective we need today. Because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you don't respond to him when he says, now, now is the day of salvation, there come the day when he says, now is the day of vindication and judgment. Brothers and sisters, everybody that ever teased you, everybody that ever rejected you, everyone that ever took the life of a believer, everyone that ever opposed his name, every system, every person, every government, anybody that ever rejected Christ and didn't have their hearts break, that didn't turn back to him, that didn't respond to his amazing grace, then one day this great son of man will set it right and bring his judgment upon them. You know what that means? It means if you're persecuted this week, you're being persecuted for the most awesome, powerful ruler that's going to rule forever and ever. It's worth it. If you're restless this week because you feel like you're on the run and you feel this great conflict with the adversary, you made the right choice. You chose the ultimate ruler, the king of kings. It's time for us to worship him. It's time for us to believe in him. But most of all, my challenge to you today is let's go out into the marketplace. And because he is such a great Lord, knowing he's a win in the end, knowing that in the end, if I do what's right, my business might not go well now. But in the end, I know it's going to be the right thing to do. Maybe it'll be tough in my family right now, but I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be obedient now. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Because I know that ultimately, the Son of Man is going to come with the clouds. And when the blood flows, my Savior will defend against injustice, against wickedness, against evil in every place. And he will set up a kingdom of righteousness that lasts forever and ever. Father, rest at last is what we want. As your family right now, we admit that we might not have rest today. Father, it's kind of a weird thing, but it helps me to know that it's okay for me to not have total rest and total peace now. It's really comforting to know that we are in a conflict now and and I should expect to have great internal turmoil, great opposition sometimes from the outside. That's okay. Father, I pray that you would use the endurance, the encouragement that John the Apostle pours out upon the tribulation saints. I pray that we would hear his inspired voice breathing into our lives today. Oh, Lord, I want you to encourage this precious family of believers today to endure. Some of them that might be tempted to break out of the race, to stop running, I pray that you would move them to press harder because they've learned that Jesus is going to be victorious, that his sharp sickle and and his wine press is eventually going to crush all of his enemies. But Lord, as we go out into the world this week, Lord, we know that that final day of judgment, that final day of vindication is going to happen. But, Lord, we're thankful. We're just so thankful that we're living in this time of grace. And we close today, Lord, by just asking you to help us to reach as many of our friends, as many people as we can this week, 
I pray that our lives would get close to them, that we would be consistent the way we walk with you. We'd ask you, Lord, that we would see many people come to Christ before that day of judgment comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.